Music to Code By is taking the developer world by storm. Now there are six extra tracks available online in addition to the original three. That's nine Pomodoros of pure productivity just waiting for you. Check them out at mtcb.pwop.com. Net Rocks, episode 1225, with guest Henrik Felt. Recorded Monday, November 23rd, 2015. Hey, guess what? It's time for .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. Back in the studio, did a day trip to Stockholm. <laughs> and uh, that was fun. I'm upstairs in the temporary office, stuffed right. behind a sound baffle. Yep. This is just another day in the life of Carl and Richard. There you go. We uh, have a lot to talk about today, so let's roll the crazy music. Oh, boy. All right, buddy. What do you got? Well, uh, I noticed that our guest is the CEO. Uh, Henrik Felt is the CEO of a Stockholm startup called Quitu, which is about um, replacing receipts and manual accounting with robots that do it all for you, right? So it's an automated accounting thing. Cool. So in honor of that, I found some accountant jokes. Awesome. So go to tinyurl.moneyhaha. <laughs> <laughs> You're getting creative with those names. Uh, you have to, you know, because all the good ones are taken. So I make up my own good ones. And this is uh, from Business Insider, Jokes for Accountants. And um, by the way, when you go there, it's gonna you're going to not find any jokes, but there's a little link that says, hey, if you want to continue on to what you're actually looking for, click here. So do that. So I'll just read a couple of these. Welcome to the accounting department where everybody counts. Nice. <laughs> a fine is a tax for doing wrong. And a tax is a fine for doing well. <laughs> yeah, that's a fine joke. <laughs> uh, what do you call an accountant with an opinion? An auditor. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> an accountant is someone who solves a problem you know you didn't have in a way you don't understand. <laughs> Sounds like software engineers to me. Absolutely. And this is why it needs to be automated, right? How does, how does Santa's accountant value his sleigh? How? Net present value. Oh, uh, God. <laughs> All right. That's a groaner. But the last <laughs> one's pretty good. Uh, what do you call a financial controller who always works through lunch, takes two days holiday every two years, is in the office every weekend, and leaves every night after 10 p.m.? What? Lazy. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I got. Okay. <laughs> Who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 1216, the one we did with Damien Edwards when we were talking about ASP.NET v. Next. Yeah. And this comment comes from Jacob Pawalski, who said, I've been using ASP.NET v. Next since beta 4 in production. Wow. Which means he's crazy. Crazy. Because we're at beta 8 or something. Either now, that so or he has no customers. He's gone through some big <laughs> convulsions, for sure, if he's keeping up to date. 
Uh, that may not seem like the wisest decision. No, really doesn't, actually. <laughs> uh, but the application turned out to be really stable, and the experience of writing in the new application model is so much better. A plain pleasure. It encourages you to keep your code simple and focused. Sure, there have been some problems, but when I couldn't get something to work as I expected, I simply did git clone and looked at the source code. It's well-organized, cleanly written, and you can find all your answers there. Mm. There are also some sample apps to look at, like Music Store, and the docs are getting better and better. I even packaged a few Owen middleware classes into NuGets and used them in the old ASP.NET 4 apps. Yes, it's possible, but it requires a certain amount of if-defs and some stitching together. I also love the concept of, quote, removing magic from yeah. the tooling, like copying files, packaging, and so on. Everything is command line based, and I can do everything that Studio does from the command line. I see how many of these concepts are borrowed from Node.js. Mm -hmm. A lot has changed since Beta 4, and I've been a little reluctant to upgrade because of all the breaking changes and stuff. Oh, yeah, dude, just wait. Yeah, We've been doing this on already. Uh, all in all, it took about eight hours to completely migrate the project to Beta 8. Okay, so you've already done the horrible thing. As that was the hard one, uh, which is supposed to be stable in terms of API changes. And now with the release of RC1, the upgrade should be painless. That's basically been our experience on already as well. Uh, to be honest, the one thing that had been lagging behind is Visual Studio. You need to install additional tooling. That's the ASP.NET and Web Tools 2015. I don't understand. Why isn't there even an extension for ASP.NET 5? Mm -hmm. The IDE tends to have problems and slow down when there are many ASP.NET 5 projects in the solution and so on. And one last thing. Why didn't they give some distinct name and slash code name for all this stuff. Searching for ASP.NET 5, MVC 6, IIS 8 may be a little confusing for search engines, don't you think? Besides, mm. is it still ASP.NET? That mm. is a really interesting question. Right. Because there's rumors that they may actually have a new name going forward. No kidding. We don't know for sure yet, but it's certainly a conversation going on because, as Jacob's implying here, it's a very different ASP.NET. It's ASP. a different animal, yep. Uh, Jacobs, thanks so much for your comment. It's fun to see you pl plugging away on this. We've been having a good time over on the already side with the humanitarian toolbox and had many of the same experiences you have. The .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or via any of the social media. We post every show to Google Plus and Facebook. And if you write a comment there, we read it on the show. We'll send you a mug. And of course, you can tweet us anytime. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Just do it. Hey, and uh, let me formally introduce Henrik. Uh, Henrik Felt, as I said before, is the CEO of uh, Quitu or Kvitu, which I guess is Swedish for receipt. But besides that, he's been doing .NET since 1.1 through projects like the Castle Project, Mass Transit, Top Shelf, Automatonymous, Automatonymous. Yeah, that, that's it. Automatonymous. 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 <laughs> 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 Documently, Puppet for Windows, Albacore, Hawk for .NET, and Suave. Suave or Suave? I think it's uh, Suave or something in Spanish. I always say Suave. Suave. Or we'll, Suave. We'll call it Suave. Sure. <laughs> we'll get I flamed. I think it's up to the listener to okay. decide. But it's S-U-A-V-E. However you want to pronounce that, it's fine with you. Uh, Docker for F-Sharp also, to name a few. So his open source work is aimed towards making F-Sharp the go-to language for distributed systems. Yeah! So welcome formally, Henrik Feld. Thank you. Yeah. It's nice to be here. Well, it's great to have you. To think that we were we were just there. <laughs> we were in Sweden <laughs> a, a week ago. We weren't just really? in Sweden. We were in Stockholm. Yeah, that's true. Should have said hi. I know. 
Well, you know, we were there for the Azure World Tour, which Richard and I have been bombing around the world doing, just starting it, actually. And uh, that was the first place. Cool. Yeah. So, so tell us about Suave. Well, uh, Suave is a uh, web server, as you may have uh, found out by now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, written in F-Shop. It's fully asynchronous, runs on Windows, OS X, and Linux. So you really get to choose where you want to run it and what you want to do with it. Now, one of the, f- the first thing that caught my eye is the, the way it defines itself, that it's a lightweight, non-blocking web server. This yeah, non-blocking right. I.O. model is efficient and suitable for building fast, scalable network applications, blah, 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 completely non-blocking throughout. So my question is, I thought all web servers were essentially non-blocking, but, uh, you know, they're, they're using a thread pool, I mean, typically. So what do you mean by completely non-blocking? Well, it, it means that you don't uh, block the CPU waiting on I.O., but you use the, on Windows, you use I.O. completion ports, and on uh, OS X, you use EPOL or KQ, uh, and on Linux, similarly. So you don't, you don't block your, your managed code on I.O., is what it means. I see. So if, for example, I wanted to download a file, which is your typical blocking thing, right? Right. You download a file, you, you are on a thread in downloading... When, and that thread doesn't come up for air until you're done, right? Yeah, and uh, that thread is, is uh, well, you can't use it for anything else, sure, which means right. if you map the thread to an operating system thread, which is a common common case in .NET, you don't, uh, you don't get as many as you want of them. You maybe have 100, 200. Uh, it depends on your, on your hardware. But if you use non-blocking and you use the, the built-in queuing in the operating systems, you can have millions of these things waiting for things. To happen. What I imagine would happen then was that would be that uh, some code delivers a chunk and then, you know, returns. So the kernel, it reads something from, from the network interface card. Hmm. Uh, the NIC puts it in DMA, direct memory access. Uh, that triggers like an interrupt request into the operating system. Um, the operating system places that on on the KQ or the EPOL mechanism it, it's got built in, or the IO completion port on Windows. And uh, that in turn fires a callback registered to that particular piece of data that you're interested in. And, and the other thing that... Uh, I probably got that wrong, so don't quote me. Well, that's okay. Precisely on that. <laughs> that's okay. It's close enough. I'm, I mean, we think right. we get it. The, um, the other thing that occurs to me is that, you know, everybody knows, or most people know, that they've worked with threads that... More threads doesn't necessarily mean faster or more scalable. In fact, things slow down when you have more threads, and we're talking OS threads here. Um, right. So so we're not talking about using more threads. We're just talking about using the threads we have in a smarter way. Right, yeah. yeah. And so does that mean that, and, and I guess this is why, what we're getting to here, uh, more powerful, faster, more scalable, all of those things? Well, of course, I would be a bad marketer of Suave if I said no to that question, yeah. wouldn't I? <laughs> yeah. Is there any downside of this architecture? Yeah, there is, of course. Uh, I.O. using a sync isn't faster. Mm. That's the downside. It's just more scalable. And right. you can run more concurrent I.O. on it. Okay. Yeah, it's more. It's going to be more concurrent, which means when you get to those really high numbers where thread blocking might stop a certain amount of traffic... You're going to keep going and just go slower for everybody as opposed to blocking a few. Right. Yeah. So um, the slower thing is that you don't get as high throughput necessarily from, right. from lots of small asynchronous jobs. 
because the limiting factor isn't the throughput on a normal web server, no. but rather the concurrency, the amount of requests you can hold in memory. And then it's up to the operating system to decide how to schedule the send and receive on on those uh, lots of lots of connections. Yeah, right. And 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 because threads allocate too many resources per thread, it's like a megabyte or something per right. thread. Yeah. So you can't just allocate as many as you want, and so you end up with a handful of long running threads blocking a whole lot of short running things that could have slipped through in a non blocking scenario and been done while the big things were still taking their time. Yeah. That sounds about right. I like the idea. I just looked at this and thought, hey, no JS for F sharp. Exactly. Yeah. And, and uh, we've mm. had people coming into our chat room on Gitter and saying that, uh, hey, I rewrote this application from no JS and uh, it's like four times faster now. Wow. That's a great comment right there. So it's really, really web scale, you know? Yeah. No kidding. So that is that anecdotal or is that studied like uh no it's anecdotal but you can run the performance tests mm. and and just come up with the numbers uh we did run a few performance tests for the new libuv support adama wrote okay and uh, it turned out we got a 70 percent increase um and this is on a web server where we haven't done any performance work um we're running about 5,000 concurrent um or requests per second rather uh using uh, a load generator on the same server on the same node awesome so it's not in any way like a good performance test but uh, it's sort of the ballpark of how many concurrent requests so we can serve very easily and this strikes me as not something you would really build a website with so much as web services with so could you care to like uh, explain what you mean by that so you're not actually shipping html down via this back end you'd be you know, fulfilling a, uh, a, a data set request, those kinds of things. Well, uh, you can do both yeah, because we I'm got sure. OWIN support. So you can run any OWIN app on us. Right. And that means so you can run something like Freya, for example, which is like a web machine, uh, hate OAS, um, very, very advanced sort of framework. You mm. can uh, define your resources very specifically there and be fully uh, fielding compliant. Or you can run uh, WebSharper, which is an excellent framework for generating both JavaScript and HTML. And they even have this new thing called UI Next, which means that you can uh, both uh, generate HTML and write F-Shop that compiles into JavaScript in a very nice reactive manner. So you really want to make F-Sharp the go-to language for distributed systems? Convince me. Well, the web server, uh, that's the entry point. And that needs to be really good. Mm. Uh, what I've done with Suave Previous is to build a uh, microservice architecture with it. Nice. And that means uh, we built um, mostly RPC-based. I, I normally call HTTP RPC because it's request response, and that's very similar. Um, it works, and it scales uh, quite far. And if you don't have any more advanced requirements, then you can build good software based on it. Uh, we did um, we did console for example for service discovery. Um, we had Puppet for both Windows and Linux, mm. which orchestrated the uh, deployment of our software, so mm. that uh, we could we could write our top shelf um, program, put a Suave in there, and we got an example on that uh, in the Suave repo. If anyone's interested. And then you'd uh, put uh, like a .app spec file next to it. And this is all open source software. 
the .appspec file would be read by Albacore, which is, um, um, you probably heard of it. Uh, it's a build framework for .NET. Right. And uh, it, it, it's basically Ruby, but for .NET, uh, because it, it's so painful to work with MS Build. Uh. Uh, so you'd put the app spec next to it, and uh, it would know what operating system you were compiling on, and then it would generate a microservice based on just the uh, the code and uh, the compiled code. And uh, it would generate uh, on Windows a chocolatey package, and on uh, CentOS it would generate a uh, a Linux package. Nice. I had not looked at Albacore before. This is quite a build system. Yeah, I mean, it's been a few years in the works, and I'm using it for all the stuff I do. I like it. I've heard nothing but good things about Rake, so it's neat to see a you know sort of Rake derived system for .NET. Yeah, it's uh, really fun to work with as well. Uh, you could say Ruby is an amazing language for glue code because it's dynamic and uh, it has really good interfaces with the operating system and for building software in, in general. Mm -hmm. And of course, Rake is also uh, quite good at uh, declaring. Uh, so you can declare the task depends on, uh, you can declare this file, the creation of this file depends on the existence of these other files, and it'll solve the dependency graph for you. I've seen a lot of folks really happy with Ruby in a test scenario, like writing tests in Ruby seems to be very pleasant. It's just building large systems that need to be maintained for a long time. It's it's tricky to to build well-crafted Ruby over time. Yeah, and I suppose that the unit tests, they make up for what the compiler lacks. Yeah. But another way to look at it is that the compiler is uh, is still there. It's not that the compiler is missing. It's just that it compiles at runtime. Yeah, I, I, t I totally agree. And, and honestly, the whole dynamic language movement in my mind is what made testing grow up so that today, you know, we could take tests way more seriously. When you look at open source projects that are healthy, a cornerstone of that is a really good test system. Yeah, definitely. Because otherwise people are afraid to contribute. And you have something, uh, you got uh, SpecFlow that's uh, sort of uh, come from the Ruby background as mm -hmm. well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's quite nice to work with, especially if you're building interaction tests, I suppose. Yeah. Well, just that, that whole idea that we can have essentially compilable requirements, right? Or mappable yeah, requirements, nice. testable requirements. It's just a cool idea. It takes yeah. time to do it well. I, I worked with guys who were big cucumber believers, which is another stupid tool name. <laughs> but uh, yeah, SpecFlow is Cucumber for .NET. Yeah. Right. What I would love is to have uh, something where we can define the, uh, the properties we want on our systems, not just uh, the execution properties of tiny pieces of code like you do in unit testing, mm -hmm. but the actual properties that you gain from having a web server, talking to a database, talking to some other server, maybe a distributed system, and you want to define the properties of the data flowing between these systems. We have nothing towards that today, but the sort of growth of uh, CRDTs, convergent replicated data types, uh, the base, uh, which is like uh, associative commutative operations, uh, basically consistent. All of those uh, research directions have, have gotten a lot of uh, good press lately, and I hope that we can start as software developers to define our own code uh, with those properties in mind in the future at least. You know, when you think about all of the things we're trying to do to resist malware and hacking and so forth, defining the way that modules communicate with each other in a very declarative way, sort of a manifest of that communication, that goes a long way to battling security problems. Yeah, you mean like protocols? 
Well, and, and not just protocols, but even the shape of the packages that are inside of it, right? Like, we've turned port 80 into a sewer, right? Everything moves through that. Right. We've completely defeated that mechanism, right? We don't, we can't filter anything on 80 anymore because everything goes through it. Right. HTTP ACL. Yeah. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Stackify. Our dev-centric friends at Stackify have been awarded PC Magazine's Editor's Choice for application performance management, stating the depth of application information provided by Stackify totally outshined the other products in this category. Because Stackify so successfully integrates errors, logs, and metrics into a core APM Plus tool, it's a must-have for .NET developers, which is why PC Magazine's Paul Farrell calls it one of the best infrastructure management services of 2015. Try Stackify now for free, and they'll ship you their coveted Developers Against Humanity card game. Just activate your account. Use the link bit.ly slash netrocks to build better apps faster and get your free game. So get back to, uh, if you don't mind, get back to convincing me to, to use F-sharp, uh, you know, for all the way down for this stack here. What... I mean, we've done a lot, Richard and I, to giving uh, F-sharp people and experts a platform here to help, you know, make the pitch to the vast seas of C-sharp and VB.net developers that listen to our show. Right. And, uh, you know, so let's let's keep going. I've been a C-sharp developer for quite some time, and uh, it was the uh, language F-sharp that uh, finally took me away from C-sharp. It's not that it's necessarily better but i think that it's just nicer to work with because you don't have to repeat yourself uh you can do functional um you can do pure code immutable objects so all of those things they tend to be said when you talk about functional programming um concurrency tends to be said well everything is immutable so it's concurrent Mm -hmm. but those are sort of boring i I think it's more fun to talk about how functions apply um as the the sort of structure of your code and they are the control flow or rather you compose the control flow using functions and then your data uh, be it uh, in uh, uh, wrapped in another data type like a monad would be uh, contribute to that control flow yeah. So all you all you flow is data, and that that makes for for systems that you can prove. And I have a great interest in in trying to build systems that are bug free. Right. Saab being one of them, I, I'm really trying to to get the source code of Saab up to to a state where where you can't find issues with it, because that's how how you want to work with software. And I suppose if you're working in a microservices environment like you like like Suave, you've done for Suave here. That uh, the functional aspect of it greatly simplifies those microservices because you're not doing these behemoth systems. You know, you're working with a few functions right. at a time. So one way of looking at it is that when you have a microservice system, then any instability in a component gets multiplied across because you have a lot of component interactions. So you need very stable components in order to have a stable system as a whole. So if you have just 99% stability on one, then the next one 99%, and you multiply together, and, and sort of it becomes quite low very quickly. Mm. And so you need to write those services in a way that you can guarantee are without at least a, a large number of bugs. 
functional programming lets me do that much easier and in a very nice way. Yeah, and and it's nice to have a web framework that works. Uh, in in so tell us about some of the other things in Suave that sort of take advantage of what F Sharp naturally does to just simplify the process, which I'm getting here now. I'm getting that you know Suave and functional and F Sharp sort of simplify the right. uh, the whole dev the web stack. One way of looking at it um, from an F Sharp perspective and uh, Suave then is to see how, uh, for example, we got this monad called Socket. Uh, you could call it a monad, you could call it a workflow builder. It's something that takes packages from the network and then picks those together. It sort of unpickles them. It puts them together into mm. a string or into some posted form data. And it's all behind the scenes. You never have to touch it. And all you have to work with is the finished F-sharp record, the type, the, the data type. And you do your control flow based on it. You never touch it, but if you do, you can always opt in by just passing a callback that returns one of these socket things. Hmm. And uh, if you do that, you, you get a lot more control of how you push data to the client. So for example, uh, the event source implementation we wrote, it uses exactly this mechanism. It doesn't change any of the core of Suave. It just adds on top of it, um, what we call a web part, something that you can compose to build larger websites or larger responses to a particular request. Hmm. So when you have a request, uh, you pick it up and you do the uh, event source handshake, which is uh, particularly defined at uh, W3C. And uh, you push that data and then you yield back control to... Um, whoever called you um, as a server. So that would be the programmer, the user. And that programmer can, can keep sending data uh, as, a, um, as an asynchronous loop, just pushing data as it happens. So we got SignalR built in, but type safe and uh, <laughs> uh, bug free, uh, as far as we know, at least. We can't find any in it, so. Wow. <laughs> SignalR, but type safe and bug free. Well, now you're twisting my words. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's sort of what you said. <laughs> well, no, no indications. Is, that, is no indications that there are right, bugs. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, you you could take that too far. Sure. But, uh, and it, it doesn't look like it's a huge feature set yet. I mean, it's got the key ones. You, you mentioned WebSockets. Um, obviously, HTTPS is essential. Um, and right. some compression. There's not much more. Routing. You got routing in there, just you know, if you we have yes, yeah, we got Owen. That's quite nice for .NET in general. Yep. Well, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's time to send an autonomous request to the State Street Deli for a top shelf albacore sandwich with a slice of F sharp cheddar and a little chocolatey for dessert. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> uh, some, it's lunchtime. Oh, yeah, somebody's hungry, clearly. <laughs> it's actually time to uh, give away a Telerik DevCraft collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, do you know Swift, Objective-C, and Java? Can you use them in tools like Xcode and Android Studio? If so, awesome. For everyone else, there's NativeScript, a cross-platform framework for building native iOS and Android apps using skills you already have. JavaScript or TypeScript, CSS, and a XAML-like XML markup. Start building your dream native mobile apps today. Use the NativeScript CLI for free, or use NativeScript in Visual Studio 
with a Telerik platform subscription, which enables you to build iOS apps without the glowing Apple. Get started for free at Telerik.com slash native script. Awesome, dude. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Russell Gilbert. Hi, Russell. It's Russell. Yeah. Golf clap for you, sir. Yep. And uh, Russ Gilbert just won the Telerik DevCraft collection just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And let me tell you more about that. Go to .NET Rocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. And every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you have to sign up to win. And it's coming up real soon here, Richard, isn't it? Real soon. Because guess what? It's December. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's time. The Nigerian princes are in action. Not this show, however. No. No. Soon. Soon, soon. We also like to ask our guests, uh, Henrik, if you had $5,000 US to spend on technology today, what would you buy? I got this antique phone that I inherited from my uh, um, grandfather. Wow. It's uh, an original Ericsson, actually. No kidding. Wow. It, it, is it a mobile phone or just a regular handset phone? Well, neither, really. It's, one, it's, it's the one where you have to crank um, yeah. in order to give it power so that you can make a call. Oh, boy. And when you crank, it goes like, bling, 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 bling. Love it. You used to see those in silent movies. <laughs> so what I'd do is I'd uh, buy, actually, the, uh, the electronics needed to put uh, like a small Raspberry Pi, um, a few uh, wires and such uh, to the uh, uh, to the Wi-Fi transmitter, and I would make it so that when I crank it, I can actually make IP calls using forty-six Elks or Twilio. Oh my! I love it. That is awesome. <laughs> that would be. There was a company out there that was converting the old uh, GE handsets the ones with the, the great bells and stuff in them, into cell phones. Like, they put the circuitry in there. Mm -hmm. So, you, you know, you had a normal-looking phone. It was uh, even a rotary phone. But uh, cool. this would be going a step beyond, VoIPing yeah, yeah. an original phone. It would be awesome. And it would be such a great party trick to, to call be so someone fun, on, yeah. the, on the mobile phone using one of those old devices. I just bet that... Uh, well, you know what you really want to do is you want to crank it, have the operator come on, and then you say... You know who you want to talk to, and they patch you through, right? right? Yeah, yeah and you that's could, right. You could do that with a say command on the. Yeah, server. that's right. So you're basically burying, you know, Cortana inside that phone. Can you make Cortana <laughs> sound like Lily Tomlin? Because <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. I'm sorry, your call can't go through right now. I don't think you'd spend five grand on that. I think we could do that fairly cheaply. That's just a good idea, man. That sounds yeah. like a great Christmas present, honestly. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So many cool ideas. I'm feeling like this show is turning into the how to develop a, the full web stack using F Sharp. Mm. You mentioned just in passing Web Sharper, and right. I grabbed that link to take a look at it. I had not seen this before. You, you got to talk about this, dude. What is this? Yeah, I think... These are the people who make the most research by building a web framework. They're actually publishing papers on what they're doing. And uh, just a little while ago, they uh, added, well, because I added Owen support, they also added back uh, a NuGet that you can just install. I think it's called something like resharper.suave or something. Uh, you install it, uh, you get all the dependencies, and with a couple of lines of code, you're up and running with, uh, with the latest frameworks. Mm-hmm. 
they can, uh, I think on their website, they got a demo of how to build a pool table in 3D in your browser using F-Shop. A pool table? Yeah, with, like a game where you play Real pool. HTML5 canvas kind of thinking. Either that or maybe it's um, WebGL. I'm not quite sure. Okay. Yeah, because I, I would have thought this this is about, you know, building CRUD apps with, with uh, on the browser. They've gone a lot further than this. Yeah, they're going all the way. And that's where you get when you start using FRP, functional reactor programming, or, or just functional programming in general, because mm-hmm. you start looking at the values flowing through the functions and, and you start sort of realizing that, oh, by the way, if we add time to the mix, we can start composing these values into something more like a game or, or just uh, Mario moving. And uh, you can go quite far with it. Hmm. Another uh, another very nice front-end for Suave would be Elm. Have you heard of it? Elm? Yeah, Elm. Now, Evan Shepinskis. Uh, sorry, I'm really bad at his name. But he's an amazing <laughs> programmer. I met him at Strange Loop once. And he's built this cool FRP framework that's sort of a dialect of Haskell, um, except it gives you sane error messages. Okay. So it's got all you want to develop with. Uh, it's got... Uh, FRP, a uh, static variant of it, and uh, lots of community, lots of guides, lots of tutorials. Uh, they got a time-traveling debugger, which means that you can you can start using the app, and then you can use a, uh, like, a, like a dragging bar, and you can rewind time and see what the state was. Love it. <laughs> I just like the whole concept. It's amazing, yeah. And I think that's what WebShop is doing as well with their latest UI Next and uh, with their FRP. So, I mean, but this is a this is not F-sharp, Elm. It's something else again. Yeah, that's something else again. Um, but it's a simile to what WebShopper allows you to do. Right. I just like the phrase time-traveling debugger. I don't think I'm over that. <laughs> it's basically CQRS in the browser. Interesting. Yeah, just by having a good record of where you've gone, you're able to go back. Exactly, yeah. And everything is an event, and it's already happened, so you can't change it. Right, and then you replay those those events through your system, which is uh, like a fold left and so on. Yeah, they said right in the description here, Web Sharper is not just F Sharp to JavaScript. This is thinking functionally, so different kind of abstractions. Yeah, well, then they have these concepts called pagelets, sitelets, formlets, flowlets, and piglets. Piglets, <laughs> what you made that up? <laughs> it's in the list, man. I don't make anything up. <laughs> what are all these? There's this other awesome technology that goes uh, sort of ties into my aim of bringing distributed programming to F-Sharp. Uh, it, that sounded megalomaniac. Uh, sorry. Um, <laughs> I am not only going to do that. I'm just sort of contributing, etc. So uh, it's called Hopak, and it's made by Vesa Kavonen. Is that something you've heard of? No, OFAC? No, no, Hopak. H-O-P-A-C. Hopak. Hopak. Nope, not me. I haven't heard it's of this. A, it's a variant of RX, RxJS, Rx.net, okay. et cetera. Well, we've definitely talked about reactive extensions. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the difference here is that it's pool-based. So you don't get values pushed to you, but you can choose in, in uh, how fast you want to consume them. Uh, so you hmm. don't get the, the state explosion that you get uh, in RX if you don't have uh, uh, feedback uh, loops that uh, force the producer to chill out. Hey, so I noticed that you can deploy... Suave apps to Heroku, but what about Azure? Oh, um, there is this uh, really good blog entry by Scott, by Scott Hanselman, 
mm -hmm. uh, where he does exactly that. Cool. So if you Google Azure Suave Scott, and you'll find his entry. Uh, Thomas, Thomas Pitrichik and uh, Forky has uh, taken it further and improved on it. All right. But the basic mechanism is just that. Okay. And uh, it's uh, Docker-friendly, I take it? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You can uh, do uh, docker pull f-shop slash f-shop. Uh, it's soon going to be docker pull f-shop, but uh, we're getting that. Hmm. And uh, then you just add sort of your compiled web server on top of it, a couple of lines of code, copy dot to app slash, uh, and then run app slash myWebServer.exe, and you're done. And would you, you know, because uh, I, this is a loaded question, but are you running then in a, in a Linux Docker container? So um, if we're talking Q2, for example, uh, we're doing all of our hosting on, on Mono. And that means that we also can host on Docker if we wish. Uh, we actually tried using Docker initially, um, but um, had some issues with uh, just the um, infrastructure around it. Okay. But that seems like a temporary problem. Oh, yes. Yeah. For sure. Uh, we're looking at Kubernetes in the long run. Because it looks like a, like a really good model. That's Google's tech, right? Yeah, exactly. We did a show uh, with Brad Abrams a while back about it. You, you deploy pods and they get IPs and uh, they get ports. You don't have to switch ports just to create many services on a single machine hmm. uh, because you have this virtual software-defined network. And then you put up a router and you route requests to them. This, is all, this feels all like we're, we're sort of getting rid of the sense of infrastructure. Everything's just another library, just another extension. It's just that, you know, what, you know, it used to be a web server was a big thing. Now it's just not. It's just another library. Mm. And Suave specifically, because you can host it, it takes about six megs to run, and you can yeah. host it inside of a C-Shop app. Which, yeah, now you're twisting up my oh, head. I, I wanted to live all in F-Sharp <laughs> here. We, there's more to the stack, though. It just keeps going yeah. and going. So what's Packet, P-A-K-E-T? Paket is, uh, that's uh, in Swedish, actually. Okay. It's a um, package in Swedish. And that's a, um, well, a nougat. Um, Nougatish? Nougatish thing, uh -huh. yeah. Uh, it's uh, awesome, first of all. Uh, so um, let, let me give you an anecdote. Uh, we had a solution at a uh, place I used to work, and it had about 60 different C-sharp projects in it. That took about one hour to upgrade all the nougats for, because... That's how long Nougat takes to use. And then we switched to Paquette, and it took uh, 50 seconds. <laughs> That's a little bit faster. But uh, don't take my word for it. Uh, go to Paquette uh, on GitHub and have a look at it. It's amazing. It works for VB, uh, C-sharp, and F-sharp. Okay. So again, not, not necessarily F-sharp specific. Oh, no, absolutely not. You can, uh, you can do lots of really good stuff with it. And uh, so one of the main selling points is that it locks down your, your uh, tree of versions, all of the transitive dependencies you got. So when you do an upgrade, you know that this dependency was actually transitive to my core dependencies. I don't really care about it as long as sort of I can assume that it follows Semva. I let Paquette decide whether to upgrade it. And I also let Paquette solve for dependencies globally. Hmm. So I don't have to. Wow. It sort of enforces the really good habit of locking down all of your dependencies across a full solution, rather than having to go into each project and say, update package. Now you're rubbing up against NuGet hell. Have you experienced right. NuGet hell? <laughs> well, 
Um, not really, because I switched to Paquette before. Oh, okay. So you hadn't used NuGet before you'd use Paquette? Well, I ran, no, I, I did use NuGet, of course. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to upgrade in an hour. Oh, okay. <laughs> that, I suppose that's the hell you're talking about. Well, just talking about references in, uh, in general, you know, the we used to have DLL hell and NuGet hell is basically when you have uh, unresolved NuGet versions and that kind of stuff, and you have to, in Visual Studio anyway, you have to uh, enable a version update and all of this crazy stuff. Okay. Yeah. Then you just have to go all the way down the stack, and it gets it gets out of hand. Paquette is really good because it does what other languages do. It's really just reusing the ideas that are good. Yeah. I think .NET as a platform could... Uh, make do with a lot of more influence from the other types of languages that are out there because they got solutions to a lot of problems. Well, and that does seem to be happening. Yeah, and it is. It is, definitely. Um, I hope that um, the Core CLR team uh, really takes this feedback and uh, allows Paquette to be a core citizen as well. Yeah, I, I hope so too. I just like, you know, I feel like we've been learning about this F-sharp web stack and then finding out many of these features would work just fine on other CLR languages. It's not nothing F-sharp specific here. It's just a different way of thinking about the problem. Right. Yeah. And that's a great thought. We can actually reuse components and uh, help each other. (laughs) Well, now you're just talking crazy talk, Mr. Fell. Right. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. So (laughs) un-American. Sorry about that one. I think we could spend a whole hour just digging through Web Sharper. There's so much in here. A lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. So I suppose you can think of it like this. Uh, start with uh, Suave and uh, do the Hello World and, and see where it takes you. Maybe uh, watch my YouTube video where I go through how to create a an asynchronous chat server uh, between lots of parties mm. hosted on Heroku and, and sort of just enjoy yourself. And when you start building, building sort of server-based rendering of uh, HTML and uh, the need for coding F-sharp to generate JavaScript or just not using JavaScript at all. Have a look at WebSharper and experience there. Awesome stuff. Combinators. What's a combinator? Is that like an autonomous combinator? (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, it combines web parts. Okay. If you're talking about Suave. Yeah, I am. Yeah, uh, so if you have, for example, path slash hello, and then you have something called okay, um, hi there, those would be two web parts. You can have a combinator, which is um, the sort of greater than, greater than, equal uh, thing. It doesn't make so well in speech. That's sort of like take the output of one, send it to the other, and get the yeah, output of Yeah, it's exactly that. Yeah. It's, yeah, precisely. But as I a sort of, okay, I'm going to scare you now, it's called an applicative functor. Okay, now you're just making up words. Yeah, yeah, of course. Sorry. I take that back. <laughs> Applicatives and combinators. <laughs> and functors and endofunctors. <laughs> so you have something called um, endofunctors, actually. And it's like the foundation of monads, monoids, and uh, these, uh, these thingies, applicative functors. You know, I saw this episode of Star Trek. <laughs> I know I did. Really? It was Jordy. He was Did talking, they all die? He was talking crazy talk down in engineering. <laughs> in in uh, like two words, you can say it's something that binds together. It takes input and, and then ties it into something bigger. Yeah. Like uh, socialism is. 
This is the most surreal .NET rocks I've ever heard. Well, you have to use references to the real world. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it ties into something bigger. And that bigger thing uh, is like an encapsulation of state. That state could be your web request. Okay. And for everything you attach to it, uh, you can modify it slightly on mm. its way out. And that's what I, um, what the bind operator, the combinator, does in Swap. Okay. Well, I mean, I get it. Yeah, these are all functional, these core functional concepts, right? They really, right. Haskell and Scala talked about functors and applicative functors and monoids as just these core elements for, for being able to do functional programming properly. It's just interesting to hear them coming out of, you know, the, the academic world into this is a good way to build websites. Yeah. It becomes really nice code as well. Uh, terse and uh, single responsibility. You move all of the sort of state stuff into functions of their own. And uh, all right. you do at the very end is composing your API. And somewhere in the middle, you do the validation. And then you call into your domain. And so you have the, yeah, you know, it's very testable software. This is software you can, right. can validate yes. fairly easily because it's so coherent. Right. You can use something called purification, which means that you, you take all the stuff that does IO, something that causes side effects, and you push it to the edge. Right. And you just return values. And then based on those values, like a, a discriminated union, which is like, a, um, it's like an enum, but you can contain data within, uh, you just... Um, match on it and you do whatever the core did uh, whatever it told you to do and then you do the IO interesting so then everything is testable within and outside you do the um, the impure stuff until you could get it organized enough to, have, to bring it in like this it seems like a method for rehabilitating software right yeah it's definitely one of those um, it's something that you discover when you refactor enterprise systems as well Right. Often you got transactions hidden deep within, like you got a transaction in a store procedure. And yeah. the store procedure, that's not a nice beast to deal with no. if you got lots of them. And yeah. quite often Two, you got that. Three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It depends on what you mean by lots. Uh, I've, I've worked on <laughs> systems that had 300 store procedures. That's fun. I think I worked on a system that has uh, over 10,000. Uh, and uh, they're all sort of uh, dealing with uh, logic. Yeah, and they're yeah. calling each other, and they're starting transactions. Yeah. yeah. Nice. And that's not a nice place to be. Not at no. all. You basically want to push the transaction out to the end, uh, to where you get the request. Uh, like, you want to purify the code, and uh, the transaction should be started when you get the request and ended when you, when you finish the request. Right. And if you just follow that pattern, uh, it's slightly simplified. But if you follow it, then you get quite good code, um, at least easy to maintain. Yeah, and, it, but it, and I just like this rehabilitation process that you push that off to the edges and build up this core of more coherent, testable code. And then, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, you, you know what, what's interesting is you know when you're done, when there's no edges left. Right. You know, everything's living in that same model. And that's another really cool thing about functional programming that you can build... You can build functions that are total. So they accept input in all of their domain, which is their types, and yep. then they have output for all of those inputs. Yeah. And that means you don't, you don't get exceptions if you pass something funky because you define that it's not funky in the types. Yeah. 
So what's in your inbox, Henrik? What are you, what are you up to now? What's next? So um, I have a few different things going. Um, I must say that um, I'm working on F-Shop TV, which TV? is like, yeah, F-Shop TV. Uh, it's a website. You oh. can go there. You can sign up. Um, we're um, just releasing the, f- the first few chapters, um, and they're for free uh, with the help from uh, Zamarin. Great. That's uh, like an intro course for uh, someone who has never done functional programming before. Love and it. we go through all the basics uh, in a sort of uh, step-by-step manner. And I'm, I'm doing that with Breeze and Mark. Okay. Sounds good. And uh, also, Suave, of course, is with uh, Adamar. So I'm not alone in any of these things. It's really a community effort. And Don Syme is involved in Suave, isn't he? He is in, in, in a bit. Um, um, so he's helped out with uh, both uh, the API and uh, with a bit of documentation. Uh, there might be some rumors he's writing something about it. Uh, <laughs> oh, there weren't until now. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. That sounds great. And wow, another toy to play with. Who knew? Right. But thanks a lot, Henrik. It's been great talking to you. And thanks for being with us. Yeah, you too. It's been fun. All right. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the 